Hello and welcome to the Oxford Sandium Let Big Group Foundation Charity Podcast. I'm your regular host, Andrew O'Shea. Uh, welcome to the first recording of 2022. Um, in this episode, we are replaying the uh, event that was held um, on the 2nd of March with Victoria Phillips, uh, a um, pig nutrition expert um, in her field, talking to us about feeding our our sows and gilts appropriately when it comes to uh, pregnancy, farrowing um, and weaning, etc. But before we get to that, there's a lot, fair bit's been happening, so you're going to fill you in with the news. So first up, um, we saw in January our first winners of our of our of our awards uh, the first award was the pig excellence award um, and that was won by Catherine green um well deserved as well um you most of you will know Catherine from the cook along series um she's done quite a few of them and we do have an upcoming uh, cook along from her um next month um and the other winner of the award was the pork um pork producer award uh, and that went to Kieran and Kat Rosenblade in Ireland. A young couple trying to make the most of the Oxford Sandy and Black Pork in Ireland. So uh, con- congratulations to both of those. They received they received a plate from Richard Bramble, um, £200, um, a fleece and our plaque, which um, has been engraved with their names. And they get to keep that plaque until um, next year. Um, when work will get handed to the next winner. So if you do have someone that you want to n- nominate for either of those categories for 2022, please um, please reach out to Kim and I via email and provide your nomination um, in the relevant category. So next up, those will have seen on the group uh, a video from Nicola Gumry, uh, AHDB EAML um, Bureau Manager, asking for those that those of us who uh, who keep pigs um, in England to um, sign up for the AHDB Shape of the Future programme. Um, there will basically be a list of surveys next year, uh, sorry, later on this year, where we can feedback on how we feel as, as independent producers, um, on how we feel the relevant um, legal bodies, etc., function for us and you know feedback as to how we can see and you know shape the future for for for, um for us at the smaller end of the market so um i'd encourage you to go over by the 31st of march this year go over to ahdb.org forward slash shape hyphen the hyphen future um and register now please note you are asked some questions um this is not the survey piece this is just the registration uh, for the process AHDB will be in contact um, in due course um, with specific questions uh, and your opportunity to have your voice heard so thank you very much Um, so what what else is there to tell you so um, fundraising activities I mean it's the fundraising that that, that helps keep us um, afloat so to speak so Programs like Amazon Smile, um, you know, give us money that doesn't cost you anything. You know, when you shop on Amazon, you use Amazon Smile. 
um, we get a, a small percentage of your um, of your of your purchases paid back to us um, as a donation. As Facebook fundraisers, if you go to our to our page, Oxford Sound and Black Pig Group page, um, you can set up a fundraiser um, to raise some money for us. And then more recently, we signed up to um, Easy easyfundraising.org um it's a free tool um doesn't cost you anything um and basically when you shop online with a number of high level i think it's four thousand retailers signed up um we get anywhere from half a percent to five percent of your um spend value as a donation to us um again it doesn't cost you anything it's completely free um and at the moment they have they have a promotion going on if you sign up um, by the end of the month, um, once you've raised uh, five pounds um, through the um, the fundraising, uh, Easy Fundraiser will double it. Um, so I'd encourage you to go over to um, easyfundraising.org, um, search for Oxford Sandy and Black Pig Group, and uh, pick us as your um, as as your preferred charity of choice. So thank you very much for all those that do support us through amazon smile etc you know between smile and facebook i mean we've raised almost um two thousand pounds in the last uh um year or so through those programs so thank you to all those that uh participated there too right i'm not going to waffle on any longer i'm going to hand over well going to play the uh a replay of the event that we had um, with again with Victoria Phillips, feed nutrition expert, um, talking to us about um, feeding our pigs during pregnancy, farrowing, uh, and weaning. So um, I hope you all enjoy it. Over to Victoria. So thank you very much. Good evening, Victoria. Thank you for joining us and supporting the charity with this event. Good evening, Andrew. Thank you very much for that. Thank you for inviting me back. No, it was- Pleasure to have you. I'm going to give you the right to share your screen so you can um, drive from there. Um, so. uh, there we go. So you should be able to share now, I believe. I've done that correctly. Can you see that? Uh, we can now. Nutrition yes. for sales. Yeah, so, so thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Over Andrew. You. Okay. So last time, I don't know how many of you were with us last time, but we were looking at nutrition of growing pigs. We were looking at sort of the, the key rules, if you like, for balancing the diets of young, growing, finishing pigs. And so what my plan for tonight is to do similar sort of course, make it quite practical, but this time looking at sows. So looking at the key nutrients, um, looking at the sorts of key things to think about when you're feeding your sows. And then we'll look at both gestating sows and lactating sows and again we're just going to look at some of the key points to remember and to consider when you're designing diets for your sows and if I remember rightly the last time I did this within the group we had a mixture of different feeding regimes so we had some people who just fed a, a commercial diet bought a standard sow diet and fed that we had some people who were home mixing, mixing a ration together and feeding that. And I think the majority of people were kind of in between. So they were feeding the commercial diet, 
but they were also adding some things to that. So whether that would be some form of foods or other materials, and they were then supplementing the commercial diet with tasty things, things that look tastier. Um, and so I've kind of planned on that being the case here as well, that looking at you know the, the sort of different variations in the diets and just then just going to go over the key points at each of those stages to remember. Okay, so please do feel free to ask any questions. Um, I think it's probably going to last about an hour, but I'm happy to stay as long as you want. Um, if I can answer any questions, I'm not an Oxford Sandy and Black expert, so Andrew's also here as well for any specific questions on that. Okay, but it's certainly, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what breeds you're feeding, even with this, you know, even between the traditional and the commercial breeds, the principles are exactly the same. So let's start by just thinking about the feed itself. So you could all be feeding different types of feed. All feed is feed. Okay, so feed is made up of water. There's, all feeds will have a water fraction. And everything that's not water is what we call dry matter. And that then makes up all of the key nutrients that I'm going to be talking about today. So when I'm given figures, when I'm given sort of examples of intakes and percentages, etc., my figures are based on a standard commercial feed, which is about 12% water and about 88% dry matter. If some of you are feeding wetter diets than that, if you're feeding materials that are much wetter than that, then it's just about, it's just about adjusting those figures so that if you, set, if you set it up as if it was 88% dry matter, then those figures will still be relevant, okay? When you're feeding a very wet diet, it, it goes a little bit, wrong if you don't just keep converting it back to that sort of standard 88% dry matter. Okay, so that's what I'm working on for a lot of the stuff today. And we're going to be talking about the different nutrients. So we're going to touch on proteins and essential amino acids. We're going to look at carbohydrates and fiber and the fats and oils. And in particular, we're going to look at the essential fatty acids and talk about vitamins as well. So each of those nutrients does have an important role in sound nutrition. Different in many ways to the young growing and finishing pigs. You know, there's a, there's a lot of, sort of different considerations here, but the nutrients are the same. It's how we balance them and how we utilize them that, that makes it different. And we're also gonna to touch a bit on the minerals as well, the, the essential minerals. And so I'm going to start by just a couple of slides on each of these and talking about these different nutrients and how they how important they are in sound nutrition. So starting with the main one or one of the main ones is looking at protein. OK, so I always think about protein as being the if you if you take an analogy of a feed being a car that you want to run smoothly along the road. The protein is the metal that makes up the car doors and the rubber that makes up the tires and the glass that makes up the windows. It's the bit that you can see. In an animal, it's the muscle. It's the internal organs and tissues. It's the hair, the skin, the trotters. Yeah, And they're the bits you can see. But protein 
is also very important when we talk about reproduction and we talk about hormones and we talk about enzymes. They are also proteins. You can't see them, but they are, they're made of things like antibodies are proteins. So they have all this underlying role. And when you think about sound nutrition, where we're looking for reproduction, we're looking for hormones, we're looking for um, health and sort of antibodies, then the protein makes up key, key roles in that. Protein is a chain of amino acids. So it's a long chain made up of amino acids, amino acids, if you like, are the building blocks of the proteins. You might remember when we did the, the course on the growing and finishing pigs, we were talking very specifically about essential amino acids and key amino acids and meeting the nutrient requirements down to sort of the percentages and the grams of each of the specific amino acids. It's still important, but with the sows, we tend not to be quite so specific in terms of the all of those essential amino acids. What we're looking for here really is a, a good quality protein. We're looking for a good balanced protein made up of a good level of essential amino acids. Yeah, we don't want too high protein. It's not like where in the grown and finishing pigs where we're looking for very high levels of protein and in, in young pigs, very high levels of amino acids. It's not like that. We're looking for just a, a nice level of protein made up of good quality essential amino acids. So when we're looking for sources of protein, we're, we're, as I said, it's, it's not quite as specific as with the finishing and the growing pigs. We're just looking to get a nice balance of protein. Things like soya, things like a bit of rapeseed meal, things like fish meal, linseed, for example, they are all good, good sources of protein, good quality protein, good levels of essential amino acids, um, some better than others. So for example, the fish meal has very high levels of essential amino acids, soya, not so much so. A little bit of fish meal goes a long way to supplying the requirements for the sours for essential amino acids. If you're not if you're not feeding fish meal, then you'd probably be looking at you know looking at your amount your soya inclusion, your linseed inclusion, just to make sure that you've got that that good balance of protein and that good levels of essential amino acids. Hi Victoria, can I just ask a, um, a question? Because I, I know there's a few people that um, look at soya free. Um, Diet feed for their pigs purely because of the way that soy is sourced. Is there a is there a suitable um, comparable uh, straight that you can use? So not not really. It's very difficult to replace soya in pig diets. Fish meal is without doubt the best alternative. Um, very good quality. It's also very expensive, but very high levels of amino essential amino acids which means you don't have to feed an awful lot of it to be able to make up what the soya would be given to the diet gotcha yeah 
But if you were going to look at other vegetable proteins, so for example, if you were to consider things like rapeseed meal or sunflower, you, or distillers greens, for example, if you were looking at, you know, sort of the, the co-products coming from breweries and distilleries, etc. The problem with them is they're high in fiber and the essential amino acid content of them is relatively low. It's not as good as the soya. So even though the protein content might be the same, it's these key amino acids where you'd find that you probably end up with a deficiency. So difficult, it's difficult yeah. to replace soya, to be honest. Um, I mean, it's not a very common question, but I'm sure Kim agrees a couple of times that's popped, popped up in the group. And I just, yeah. I'm just sort of wondering. No, it's actually is, for me, it is a common question because a lot, not just pigs, but actually if you look at beef contracts and milk contracts as well, there's, mm. a, there's a big premium and a lot of pressure now to produce soya-free diets. And it sounds quite nice to say, oh, yeah, let's make something without soya. But the reality is there's not just this sort of pile of stuff waiting there to replace it. Yeah. You can replace it. You can do it. But you've just got to be a little bit careful about forgetting about these essential amino acids. Yeah, it's not you, – you might think you've balanced the protein because you've used a, another type of protein like rapeseed or sunflower – you might still be lacking in the lysine and the essential amino acids. Okay, thank you. Victoria, so, I've got a question for you and um, has come through, please. Um, the question is, what percentage of the feed should be protein in a lactating sow? Okay, so I have got a slide on that in a minute, actually, coming in. Okay. It's very... It can be, as I said, it's quite... We're, we're looking roughly here. Yeah, so it's not the same sort of specifications as we look, we saw with the growing and the finishing pigs. You're looking for around about 18% protein. And that would be on that dry matter basis of 88%. Yeah, if you converted what you've got into dry matter. And if you want, I have actually got a template for converting dry matters if you want me to send it to you. Um, you're looking pretty much, if you could produce something that had 18% protein with a good level of essential amino acids, you're not going to go, you're not going to go too far wrong with that. Yeah. What you don't want is too much protein. And that's one of the problems. If we start to feed the poorer quality proteins, if you fed, let's say you fed sunflower meal to a level that gave a good supply of essential amino acids what you might find is that overall crude protein content could be way higher than that could be up in the 20s the, the high 20s the, this, this essential amino acids or the, the if you like the rate determinant step and everything above that is just waste it just takes energy to get rid of it it's excreted it becomes pollution if you like it's that the nitrogen is just excreted through the kidneys and excreted as urine. Okay. So, yeah, so mm. it's not, as I said, it's 18% protein is really what we're looking for. You're not wanting huge amounts of protein, but when you start to look at the quality of the protein, that's what really is key. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um, 
I always put this one in. I don't, I think it never does any harm to just remember that, you know, it's illegal to feed animal byproducts, meat, kitchen waste, kitchen scraps, catering waste, etc. cetera. Um, even though there's probably some very, very good quality protein in those products, the animal byproducts, um, you know, I just always think that it's always worth just uh, emphasizing that, that because due to the risks of disease, et cetera, and it's illegal, to, to feed any kind of animal byproducts with the exception of there's very few exceptions. So if, if you're feeding cake, for example, then it might have some pasteurized milk in it. It might have some cooked eggs in it. That's okay. But any meat derivatives or any, and many other things as well, we can't use. So that then takes us back to what can you use? And it's all these vegetable proteins, which generally speaking are not as high in essential amino acids is what the animal-based proteins are, which is why we end up having to feed more of them to then get that essential amino acid content. Okay. So just, I just mentioned about essential amino acids cannot be synthesized by the animal. They must be in the diet. Okay. And there is, again, if you want the figure, I've given you a very rough figure there that you're looking at about one, 1.05% 1 lysine as being the sort of the, the, the level of lysine that you want to see within that 18% protein. Yeah. If you can, if you can achieve an 18% protein mix with about 1.05% lysine, you're all right. Okay. And that's, Sorry, Victoria. So, just call it, so is that one percent of the eighteen percent, or is that one percent of the overall? That's of, of the overall diet. Of the overall diet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Of the hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Which is about the same. Interestingly, it's about the same as a finishing pig diet. Yeah. Which is why I don't know. Some of you may have seen you can buy sow, sort of sow grower, sow weaner, sow stroke weaner feeds. Yeah. You know, sow grower finisher feeds, can't you? You can buy those diets. It's not massively different from sort of a grower stroke finisher diet, but probably a bit less sensitive. Yeah, it's, it's very much about just getting that balance, not too much protein, round about 18, with a good level of essential amino acids. Yeah. I, mean, I think you'll find that most of the... Most of the breeders in that here will use sow and weaner nuts to feed their weaners and their and their sows. Um, you know, it's a good all-round food. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean you have to have different bags of everything. And yeah, exactly, well. exactly. And it's designed for that. Yeah. I think where you, where you possibly then are going to see issues are where you're mixing that with something else, where you're changing the makeup of the diet by adding something else to it. And whether that's going to dilute the essential amino acids. So, for example, if, you, if you're adding carbohydrate-based feeds, that's going to dilute the essential amino acids. Or if you're adding, if you said, well, I'm going to add some fish meal to it. Again, you, what you're then doing is raising the protein levels quite significantly. Not necessary to have very, very high levels of lysine and methionine. You know, these are the kind of, we just want a nice level. Yeah. Okay. Another question that's come up here, Victoria, is um, are legumes a good protein substitute? Yes, they are very good beans and peas, but you can't feed too much of them. So I'll get my book 
I've got, I can tell you exactly. I think you're limited to about 5%. Peas better than beans. Beans have anti-nutritional factors in them, which means you can't feed too much of them. I've got a book up on my shelf, which will I'll give you the number before we leave. Remind me before we leave to get the actual numbers for you, because there are, I'm sure it's about 5% maximum for beans and maybe a bit more for peas. So you can't replace the soil with them. It's a shame, actually. It's a shame because from a protein quality point of view, they're really nice. But it's the it's the the nutri- anti-nutritional factors in them that why you can't feed too much of them. So a bit like you know how we can't eat raw kidney beans because of those anti-nutritional factors yeah. in them. It's a similar issue with the peas and beans. But I would always encourage if I'm doing sort of these type of diets for pigs and poultry, organic diets for poultry, I always maximize my use of homegrown peas and beans. They're lovely materials, lovely protein, not too high, not too low, really nice essential amino acid balance. I start by you know, utilizing as much as I can of them. As I said, five, 10%, I'll get you the figure in a minute. And trying to that make that up with other sources of protein. So I would definitely say if you've got that option, then certainly look to use it. They're nice. They're very nice. Okay, remind me to get that, get them numbers before we go. Okay, we'll do. Thank you. Okay, so that's your protein. As I said, I'm I'm looking. I'm talking quite generally here. Um, give them enough, they'll be fine. I don't think protein's really going to be the the sort of the thing that causes the issues in in sow diets. I think there's probably other nutrients that end up being noticeable first. And so if we then look at the energy, so if the proteins are the metal for the doors and the rubber for the tires and the glass for the window of the cars, the energy is the petrol. The energy is the fuel that you put in it, the bit that actually makes the car run. The bit that you can't see, but without it, your car's not going to work. And so for sows, this control of energy tends to be the thing that we're looking at here. Look, trying to assess the energy content of a diet and then meet the sow's energy requirements, which change quite a lot. They're quite, they can be quite different from early gestation through gestation and then into lactation. So when, if you are measuring energy content of a diet, if you are actually doing a ration and measuring it, then, or if you're looking at your your commercial diets that you're buying, the the diets and the, the numbers that we use, we don't talk about gross energy. So gross energy is the total amount of energy available in a feed. What that means is if you put it into a bomb calorimeter, burnt it till it was ash, it's a measurement of the amount of heat that would come off, the amount of energy within that diet. Okay, but not all of that energy is available to the animal. Some of it is not digested. Some of it is lost in feces. It just goes straight through. It's not digested and absorbed. And so when we're looking at energy, and so when when you, you know, if if you're comparing feeds, for example, you might want to get a copy of this little book that I'm going to look at in a minute, which has got all the energy numbers. Or you can just ring, email me and ask if you want. Um, but when we're looking at energy figures for the different feeds, 
we're measuring energy in pig feeds as digestible energy, which is the gross energy minus energy lost in feces, energy that's not digestible. Okay, and we measure, we tend to measure it as megajoules per kilogram. We don't tend to measure it in calories. You can measure it in calories, but we, we tend to measure it in megajoules. Um, and again, some of, just be careful with the figures because if you are looking at energy content of diets, they will be on a 80%, 88% dry matter basis usually. So if you've been a wet diet, again, just think about how you're going to convert that before you compare energy figures. Okay. So if we just think about energy for a minute, if we think about carbohydrates, which for pigs and poultry are the major source of energy, they're the nice source of energy. You can see here, we've got lovely maize, lovely wheat, homegrown wheat, cereal grains. We can also feed things like molasses, which would be sugar-based fruit, fruit pulps. Again, we're looking at sugar-based materials and also any cereal co-products as well. If any of you have um, supplies of things like brewer's grains, draft, wheat feed, those kind of co-products from local, local businesses, maybe, <clears throat> maybe microbreweries or something like that. Um, so we're looking at the, the carbohydrate, mainly the main one we're looking for is starch. Yeah, we're looking for a source of starchy energy. That's, what, that's where we're going to get this energy from. Starch is a, it's quite a complicated molecule, but when it's broken down, it's broken down into a nice, simple sugar. Everything's, all, all carbohydrates are broken down to glucose. And that's that source of energy that the animal needs. So when the animal is at periods where they need a lot of energy, i.e. during lactation, then what we're trying to do is balance that diet so that they have a, a source of readily available energy, which tends to usually be starch, but also could be, could be sugars as well. Yeah, fruit pulps, molasses, all those kind of things are very nice sources of energy. But I thought this would be a good moment to just talk about some of the problems with cereals. So whether you're growing your own cereals, whether you're buying in cereals or cereal byproducts or any, even, even if you're talking about your own um, commercial sow feed that you're buying and storing in your sheds, then be, be aware of the risk of mouldy cereals, okay? And this picture here actually shows what mouldy wheat looks like. Mouldy wheat doesn't look that horrible. If you ever see mouldy maize, it looks awful. It's black and gooey and, and rotten. But mouldy wheat doesn't actually look rotten. It, it looks like this. It, it has a pinky tinge to it. It gets a pinky tinge. And that's the fusarium mould grown on the grain. If you've got sow feed, maybe out old sow feed, sow feed that's been lying around a while. You know, you might not always see the mould. It's not always obvious, but the problem with the mouldy cereals is that when you get the fusarium mould growing, particularly on things like wheat, for example, then the mould produces chemicals called mycotoxins. So the mould itself doesn't look nice, but it's the chemicals that are produced when the mould grows that causes the problem. And if, there's, if there is some kind of mold and mycotoxin production 
whether that's during this when during growth when the it's been in the field when it's been stored or when the finished feed's been stored you probably won't see it you won't smell it they won't taste it but what you would see particularly in this in, in you see it in the sows particularly um, you would inhibit get inhibited appetites reduced feed intake straight through to the milk these mycotoxins are passed straight through to the milk and then what you would then see is a much higher mortality rate in the young piglets i can remember talking to a farmer once from lincolnshire who was talking about his grain and he was growing his own wheat, as you would expect in Lincolnshire, lovely wheat growing lands. And he actually, he was, he was quite close to the coast. And he told me he couldn't feed his wheat to his sows. He said, no, there's nothing actually wrong with it. It's, it's perfectly legal to feed, but I have to sell it and I have to buy wheat from other areas. And it was to do with this. It was to do with this underlying mycotoxin content that he said had a seriously detrimental effect on his sow performance. Yeah, reduced feed intake, reduced mortality, reduced fertility because it was being passed on through the milk. And the reason I, because I was surprised at first and I said, well, you'd think Lincolnshire would be very warm and dry and you wouldn't get mold growing. It wouldn't be perhaps an area where you would think that you would get it's you know it's not a sort of high rainfall area, is it? But he said it's actually the the damp. He was right on the coast, and he said it's the damp coming from the sea that we have this underlying issue with the mycotoxins. You know, and that was from a that was from a commercial farmer who had noticed that in it, particularly in his sows. So just keep that in mind that the, the sows and then passing it on to the to the young piglets through the milk. It is really important that we try and absolutely minimise or remove mouldy feed, the risk of mycotoxins being present in the feed. Can we also mention as well, please, Victoria, that because um, I did a write-up last week on mycotoxins and it was just to verify that it can also be in the bedding in straw as well. Yeah, exactly. So similar, isn't it? If the straws come off yes. that field in Lincolnshire... And it's lay, especially if it's lay around a while and it's got wet maybe before they've or damp before they've mm. gathered the build it i think possibly the straw could be even more higher risk actually but yeah. exa exactly exactly the same issues that you'd find where they're where they've got access to the straw it's that long term it's unlikely to kill the sows it's not you know it, it yeah you get the increased mortality in the young piglets but that that's because you get an increased susceptibility to bacterial infections. Mm -hmm. You just, there's just this failure to thrive in, in them both. So, yeah, I, I'm pleased that actually it's good that you put out a thing because I think just that awareness, isn't it? Of, yeah, you can't, you wouldn't just scrape the mold off the top. It's, it's the chemical ingrained. Yeah. 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 And what I've also done, actually, is I've also included in this particular, just in this presentation, I've actually included a slide on ergot as well. So I don't know if, if you've ever heard of ergot, but it looks, it looks like rat droppings. So that top photograph shows ergot contaminated grain. And actually in the middle photograph, you can see how it grows. So it grows out of the ear of the grain. It doesn't grow in the shed. 
it grows in the field and it's either there or it's not. It's not like mold, which will go grow through the, the grain. It's, it's sometimes quite difficult to spot ergot. So I speak to some of the great, the, op, the Weybridge intake operators at some of the biggest grain stores in the country, taking in hundreds of thousands, if not million tons of wheat sometimes a year. And even they would tell me they can't tell the difference between a rat dropping and an ergot contaminated grain. Now, if, if you do ever see, if you've got grain and you look at, fine, maybe you've got rat droppings. I know rat droppings aren't great, but they're better than ergot. So the way to do it, you put gloves on and you cut it with a knife. And if it's black all the way through, it's a rat dropping. And if it's white in the middle, it's ergot. Okay, and you can see there you just how it, how it stands out. But you only need one ergot grain. To, the, the, it's so little that you, you're talking, if you had a two kilo sample, and you've got one ergot grain rejection without any doubt at all. It's so lethal. And this year, in certain parts of the country, we are finding high incidence of ergot. It grows in the field, so it, you know, it's to do with conditions during when the head emerges from the ground, if it's been very rainy, and then if you get a bit of drought and you get a bit of grain damage early on, and then you get a wet harvest, it's all of those conditions which sort of encourage the growth of it it's actually it's not a mycotoxin as such it's a plant disease which produces a toxic alkaloid so certain years you don't see it other years you see quite a lot of it and so the reason why i brought it in is again because it, it's it's so important to be aware of it when we're feeding pregnant animals because even one ergot contaminated grain that's how low the level is will cause spontaneous abortion in pregnant sows, pregnant cows, etc. Yeah. And as I said, sometimes it can be mistaken for a rat dropping, which obviously isn't great. But the, the ergot, it goes through to the milk, which means you've then potentially got the young piglets drinking the milk with this toxic alkaloid in as well. And it actually, in, in young grown animals, it causes gangrene. <laughs> All sorts of horrible things. So just something to be aware of there with the cereals. Yeah, we're looking for good quality cereals. We're looking for as low levels of any contamination of these kind of um, mold plant disease type issues. Fats and oils are good, good for energy. They like fats and oils. Pigs, they, they're tasty, they, they help with diet palatability. They're a good way to add energy to a diet. So if you are looking for energy, and we'll talk about energy requirements later, but if you're looking for an energy, it's a really easy thing to do, isn't it? To add a small amount of fat or oil to a diet. It reduces dust if, if dust's an issue, if the sort of diets that you're feeding are very dusty, then a nice way to dust suppressant is to add a little bit of oil or fat. And one of the key things about the fat and oils that we have to look at is the provision of essential fatty acids. Okay, so fats and oils are generally there for energy, but certain types of fats and oils are also there for key nutritional reasons as well. These essential fatty acids. An essential fatty acid must be supplied in the diet. The animals can't synthesize 
your essential fatty acids. And so you probably recognize these terms, your omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, your omega-6 fatty acids. We know ourselves that we have to have a source of these fatty acids in our diets. It's exactly the same for the animals as well. So when you look at the, the commercial sow diets will have a source of omega-3 fatty acids, which supply, I won't, I've listed these, I'm not going to try and, you've got them on your slides, I'm not going to try and say them, but they're different chain lengths, they're different types of fatty acids, they all have a slightly different role. Yeah, if we have a deficiency, we're looking at, in the young animals, we're looking at growth and development retardation, increased susceptibility to bacterial infections, again, we're looking at, and possibly sterility. So, if you, in a commercial diet, they will have included oils like sunflower oil, soy oil, rapeseed oil, possibly fish oil. You don't have to include fish oil, but fish oil is actually a lovely source of all of those omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. Maybe some flax seeds some linseed oils. Again, it's a lovely source. Um, whole linseed actually is a really nice source of amino acids and essential fatty acids as well, especially if you boil it up. It's it's sort of like it's like comfort food, isn't it, for, for pigs and cows. So if you are looking to add something to a commercial diet, if, if you are supplementing it with maybe other sorts of maybe something like bread or fruit and veg or something, it will always be worthwhile thinking about the essential fatty acids and if necessary, supplementing them with something, just standard sunflower oil just the you know, stuff that you buy in the supermarkets. But it's a, a really good source. Go for sunflower oil rather than vegetable oil. But the sunflower oil is a really good source of your essential fatty acids. If you just feed in commercial diet, you won't need to. It'll have it already in. But this is, I'm thinking about where you might have just you know, reduced that, that intake of commercial diet by 80% and you're adding, you're making it up with something tasty maybe the brewer's grains, maybe the bread, the vegetables, something like that, then it's a little bit of sunflower oil added to that diet is going to be very useful, particularly where you've got lactate and sows, where you, you, make, you want to make sure that the piglets are also getting that source of essential fatty acids for growth, for development. It's important, obviously, in pregnant sows as well. Um, in the young pigs where you're looking for you know, that sort of development of the immune system and to try and prevent the, the, the sort of the, the bacterial infections. Okay, so just, I'm, it's, not, it's, not an, it's not a difficult one to, to supplement there. Yeah, the, the protein one we were talking about, what else you could use? Sunflower oil, it's good. And when I was thinking about vitamins and minerals, I was sort of thinking about the same scenario here. So if you're feeding a balanced dry sow feed or a sow weaner feed, sow grow finisher feed, lactating sow, et cetera, they will have all their vitamins and minerals balanced. So you shouldn't need to feed uh, an extra vitamin or mineral supplement. But if, again, if you're diluting that down with something else, or if you're mixing your own, then we're looking at making sure that we're giving them the correct level. And that doesn't always mean as much as possible. 
It's about giving them the correct level of key vitamins and key minerals. And I picked out two. So I, I haven't got time to look at them all, but I picked out two really key um, vitamins and minerals to, to think about. So we're going to just look at calcium in a bit more detail and just look a little bit at some of the B vitamins as well. I, I don't know how easy it is for you to get a hold of just a general purpose sow vitamin or mineral supplement. Um, I think there are some out there, but it's, it's not, I'm not recommending you feed that if you've, if you've feeding that balanced commercial diet, it will have enough, just the right amount of everything in it. Where you add to that, that's when it might be worth looking at supplementing it with something like this. Victoria, just before you go on, going back to the fatty acids, we've got a question, oh, yeah. please. Oh, yes, go on. It says, we, yep, it says, we give sunflower oil before farrowing to aid constipation. So it would be good to do after farrowing for milk production and for passing on to piglets. Would that be the case? Yes, I would say so, especially if the, the, the diet that the lactating sows are getting has been supplemented with something. You, with the essential fatty acids, you can't really feed too much of them. You can't really overfeed them. You, you're not going to do any harm. Yeah. So you can just put like a little dressing beforehand um, and then just a little dressing afterwards during lactation for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, would, I would think it's never going to be a problem to do that. You can't really overfeed it. The, the problem will come eventually if you're feeding too much energy, if, if you are pouring it on. Yeah. yeah and then it but the essential fatty acids are not the problem it's the it's the total energy content that will then be the problem so yeah yeah i think you know it's it's a, a nice idea to be feeding it or you can buy fish oil uh, linseed oil something like that nice and tasty as well okay thank but, you what but what were not not things like palm oil coconut oil not coconut oil um, not palm oil, else? because they don't have the essential fatty acids in them. Yeah, you might coconut oil might sound quite nice, but it's no good for this. Yeah, we're looking for the polyunsaturated fats, not the saturated fats. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So yeah, so vitamins and minerals. Mentioned the vitamins. So if we're talking about the car then the vitamins and the minerals are like the, not that I know much about cars, but they're like the oil in the gearbox or the water in the radiator, required in small amounts, but essential to the life and well-being of the car or of the animal. Yeah, and this is where you just have to be a little bit more careful because sometimes you can go too much. Yeah, sometimes if you feed too much, that will have detrimental effects as much as deficiency and it's about it's about getting the balance between these key essential vitamins and minerals and so what i've done i've just listed so we have vitamin a d and e okay they're our fat soluble vitamins we need if you if you're feeding these vitamins to an, any animal we need a source of fat in the diet to be able to absorb these vitamins into the blood and if you're talking about storage, like these are fat soluble, which means that they're stored in the body, then vitamin D particularly needs a source of fat to actually be stored in the body. 
So the so usually if an animal has had a, a good source of these vitamins and there's been a, a fat source in the diet, then there will be stores of these. Vitamin D, for example, for humans, you know, up here in Newcastle, for about six months of the year, the sun is not strong enough to actually um, promote vitamin D production in the skin. And so we have about six months of storage of vitamin D up here in Newcastle, which is just enough to get us through the winter. Uh, and it's probably the same for pigs as well, I would imagine. You know, there's, there's months potentially of storage of your fat-soluble vitamins. So the problem with these often is that you can feed too much of them. They're toxic if you feed too much. So we're not talking about just feeding more and more vitamin supplements to the sows, thinking, well, if I give, eventually they'll get enough. You've got to be very careful, particularly with vitamin E, that you don't overfeed it. We've then got our water-soluble vitamins, which are our B vitamins. They're not fat-soluble, they're water-soluble, which means they're not stored in the body. So they need a daily source of them, and also vitamin K as well. Again, a commercial sow diet will have a good source of B vitamins. It will have a, a, that daily balance of all these vitamins. If you're diluting the commercial diet, you will be diluting the B vitamin content. And so again, depending on how, how you're mixing your feed, how you, you have, what, what other materials you're using, it's probably always going to be wise to consider supplementing B vitamins when when you've, when you've diluted effectively the, the balance in the commercial feeds. You can, you can get sources of B vitamins. Um, I'm thinking of other types of feeds. I suppose some of your vegetable type, will, vegetable type products will have things like folic acid in there. Um, your green leafy vegetables, that's what you eat when you're pregnant for your folic acid. But I think we probably have to eat quite a lot to get the requirement. So if we take folic acid as an example, pregnant women are advised to eat a source of folic acid from before you're planning on getting pregnant. Used to, used to say for the first few months, but I think they now say right the way through pregnancy. Folic acid is a key nutrient. When, when an animal first gets pregnant and you get the egg and sperm coming together, and then you get cell development. So you get two cells, four cells, eight cells, 16 cells, and after a few weeks, those cells actually start to develop and they develop into your brain and your spinal cord and your reproductive cells, et cetera. And if there's a deficiency of folic acid, the brain and the spinal cord aren't encapsulated and we get um, something called anencephaly, which is where the, the actual brain and spinal cord are open. It doesn't develop. It can happen in any animal, but it's something that you know, that, that, that's why we're told to take folic acid for humans. It's to do with that development during early pregnancy. And so what for the sows, I'm thinking about the pregnant sows, we don't want to be diluting these B vitamins. That They can't store them. They need a daily source of them. So that, that's kind of where I'm thinking, where that there are situations where that if you do have access to a vitamin mineral supplement and you are diluting the commercial feed, it is going to be worth looking at topping that up. The other B vitamins are important for energy production. So again, they're important that the, in the lactate and sow that they're there in the milk so that the young piglets are able to metabolize the energy in the diet. Okay. And then if we look at the minerals, 
inorganic constituents of the diet that make up the ash content. So the bit that if you put it in the bomb calorimeter would be left at the end when all of the organic material has burnt off, we're left with the ash, we're left with the minerals. And as I said, I could talk about lots of different minerals. I just picked calcium as an example. We, we, we have to think about our macro minerals. So something like calcium and linked to phosphorus as well. But then we also think about our trace elements, things like selenium and zinc. Zinc's very important for reproduction. It is important for sperm production in bores as well, but it's also important in um, things like protein development. So things like skin, when, when the piglets are laying down and growing skin, um, hair, the keratin and the protein needs zinc. So, Sorry, Victoria, well, what is happening to zinc? Because there's a lot of news that was happening over the last four years where they were taking zinc out the feed and they were stopped doing it. Now it's got to be phased out by June this year, I believe. So, Okay, so, well, zinc has two roles in pig diets. And what we're talking about here is the nutritional role. So meeting the animal's requirements for zinc as a nutrient for reproduction, for cell metabolism, et cetera. The nutrient requirements are not very high. It's, again, it's just about giving them that balance. But zinc oxide has also been used as an animal medicine to prevent post-weaning diarrhea, et cetera, mm -hmm. in commercial herds. And in those, in those situations, it's fed at a much higher level than the nutrient requirement. And it's the medication level that will be phased out in the next two years. So it, do, it wouldn't affect this. You know, the, right. the, the, the zinc that's being added to sow feed is there for nutritional purposes only. Right, okay. It's the, it's the zinc oxide in the post wean and diets yeah. that will change. And then people will have to think about other ways of controlling and managing post wean and diarrhea. Okay, but I think I think we've got two years. I'm sure they said it's got a two year period to use okay. up stocks and for adjusting systems. Maybe weaning a bit later. Probably not a problem mm. for all you. But you're probably weaning a bit later anyway. But you know, one of the one of the ways of dealing with it is to have later weaning. Okay, so just a little bit about calcium. So the calcium level in a sow's blood are likely to play a role in the farrowing process. Okay, so cal calcium is such an important mineral. It's to do with nervous transmission. It's part of the bone deposition. So calcium is being mobilized and laid down in the bones all the time. It doesn't just sit there. There's a constant mobilization of calcium. So when an animal needs more calcium it can mobilize it from the bones and when there's too much it can lay it down it needs vitamin d to do that in times of need as i said it draws it from the bones which long term means they get osteoporosis osteomalacia where you get the bones becoming less dense um, so we're looking to try and control these calcium levels there's quite a high level of requirement for calcium. So I've just put some figures up here. And again, these are they're quite big ranges, but it just gives you an idea. So we're, when we're talking about late gestation, when at late gestation, we've got two issues. We've got quick fetal growth for the piglets, which is primarily bone. 
that, that, that you know that trying to give them enough calcium for however many piglets to lay down their bones in that late gestation period but it's also making sure that the calcium metabolism is working so that when they start to produce milk the, the calcium systems are working so they can supply the milk with enough calcium that it doesn't actually have a detrimental effect on nervous transmission etc yeah so it's a real fine balance um, the commercial diets will have somewhere between 0.6 to 0.8 eight percent the the higher parity sows will need a bit more second third parity will need a bit more for lactating sows it tends to be around about 0.7 but they're eating more feed so they end up eating more calcium because they're actually eating more kilos but the diets themselves that's the sort of levels we're talking about in and again i'm talking here about yes your standard 88 percent dry matter balanced commercial feed if you're looking at that, having mixed that with something, kind of try and work out exactly what you've done to the calcium level. You do want to be overfeeding it too much because I haven't put it up here, but what we're also trying to do is keep the calcium in about a two to one ratio with the phosphorus. And so you can't, it's not a case of just saying, oh, let's just feed loads of calcium. Let's just tip the limestone onto it, for example. Let's feed a big source of something like calcium boroglucanate it's not it's not as easy as that you, you it's trying to just make sure again everything in moderation yeah making sure there's enough calcium there without disrupting this balance between the calcium and the phosphorus if you've got calcium deficiency in gestational sows you've got much higher chance of posterior paralysis towards the end of lactation or after weaning so it, because I said calcium is involved in the nervous transmission, it just they just kind of back ends go down. I don't know if anyone's ever had that. You see it in dairy cows. You see exactly the same. They just go down and you can't get them up. You can give them an injection of calcium boroglucanate and it's a bit up the cum. It's fixable. But the, the, the aim is to not let them get to that point in the first place. If you've got calcium deficiency in gestational sows, then the, you would see that in terms of potentially reduced litter size, prolonged delivery time, increased stillbirths, higher occurrence of skeletal problems in piglets as well. So that would possibly be sort of, we're looking really at this sort of, this later stage of gestation as well. If you are, if, you, if you're not feeding just that standard commercial dry sow feed, if you have supplemented it with something that potentially could be low in calcium. So for example, cereals, bread, well, bread, no, bread would have added calcium, maybe not so bad, but you know, certain cereals generally could be quite low in calcium. And therefore you could end up inadvertently feeding the dye in that real key part, that last part of gestation, which is actually causing them to draw calcium from their bones and, and cause this calcium deficiency with all these, these problems then that you're gonna see, you probably wouldn't see it so much in gestation, you'd see that farrowing. Another question for you, Victoria. Um, the majority of us have our sows and our pigs outdoors. Um, so with the outdoor breed, will they get all the trace elements from the soil as well as their feed 
or should we supplement as well? Now, I say that it's dependent on how often you are moving your um, pigs around from field to field to ensure that the supplements of what the soil is like. So it's not, for want of a better word, gets pig sick. Um, and I know, I know the majority of us do do that. Um, but do we test our soil to see what the nutritional value is or the pH levels and so on? Very much so. And it can vary so much. So mm. we think about the differences in, you know, so, some, some farms have to put agri-lime on because you, well, it's more for pH, I know, but there's some areas of the country that have high levels of trace elements. If you come over here to this side of the country, very, very low copper levels in the soil over here, high over in Cheshire. And, you know, it's, it's quite variable. For me, I would be presuming that the, the amount is coming from the soil is possibly negligible. And I would be feeding them to achieve these requirements from the diet. If they get a bit extra from the soil for what little it's going to be, it's probably not going to be any problem. Unless you live in an area that is known for having, there are parts of Ireland, for example, I think with very low, very high levels of selenium. If you live in somewhere like that, you'd have to maybe look at it differently. But for me, I'd be looking to make sure that their diet supplied sufficient calcium, sufficient trace elements to avoid these sorts of issues. Okay. It's not, it's not expensive to supplement calcium. It's not expensive really to, in, in the general scheme of things to, to look at a, a small amount of vitamin and mineral supplement where you've, you know, where you have got these mixtures. But calcium particularly is it's for nothing really. We've got a question that is from the back of this. Someone has just asked to say, well, do wild pigs have huge natural deficiencies um, if it's negligible uptake from the soil? So I suppose that their genetic makeup is different, I suppose. To, to, yeah, and they're not, they're not living on soil. Mm. They're omnivores. They're eating other things as well. So they're eating a, probably a very balanced diet and not producing the kind number of piglets and you know, the, the, the performance that mm. we're getting here. So it, it very much depends on, I suppose, performance. Um, if, if you're feeding a diet that is naturally low in calcium, that's what they're going to eat, isn't it? They're not going to yeah. eat, they're not going to potentially have, go out and eat a, a diet that's more balanced if we're feeding them something that's low. Because you wouldn't, would you just eat what's yeah. put for it? I wanted to just touch on fiber. Fiber is very important. Um, good quality hay or straw and sugar beet particularly, very nice. Um, important for good, good filling dry sows. So this is more probably based for, it's probably more um, noticeable in your big commercial breeds where they're, they're bred with a very big capacity to eat because they need to be able to eat enough to give them enough energy to produce enough milk for the piglets, for all those piglets. We're still looking, it's, it's possibly similar or not, not quite as um, noticeable in the more traditional breeds, but 
we're what we don't want, and we'll touch on that in a bit later. What we don't want is for oh, I'm just looking, I'm going on a bit here. We don't want um too much energy during gestation. And if we're feeding a quite a highly concentrated diet and we only feed a small amount of it, eventually they will get hungry. Eventually they'll start to feel hungry if we haven't filled them up. It's it takes they've got to be quite empty to do that. But what we can do, rather than feed them more high energy feed, more nutrient dense feed, we can look at something like straw. You mentioned about straw. Hopefully there's no mycotoxins in it. Um, bulky vegetables are good as well for dry sows. Sugar beet pulp's lovely, actually. They love sugar beet pulp. If anyone's got horses and you've, you've soaked sugar beet pulp, you know how much it swells up. So inside them, you give them a little bit of sugar beet pulp. It's not There's not a lot really in sugar beet pulp. And it, and it just makes them feel full. It's quite a nice... There's not a lot of nutrition in it, but it's quite a nice sort of filler, if you like, where you're trying to minimize or, or certainly control energy intake in dry sows. If you're looking at lactate and sows, these kind of materials are not good because they're just taking up room. Yeah, this is when we need the energy. And sugar beet, sugar beet pulp, even though it sounds sugary and high in energy, it's not really. It's just that it's very much fiber. They have low nutrient density. They take up room. They're not very digestible. So it takes a long time for them to digest. And therefore, there's not room for the good stuff. There's not room for the nutritious feed. And so we don't, we're trying to minimize those kind of materials during lactation. But they have their place. Okay. So let's just look. I'm just aware of time here. I've been going on for an hour already. I won't spend too long on this. It's just got a little bit about gestating sow, a little bit on lactating sows. You maybe know this bit already, looking at body condition scoring. What we're trying to do in these gestation sows and the dry sows is not let them get too fat. Excessive fat during gestation causes farrowing problems and it actually can end up producing small litters. So there are you know, these kind of diagrams that you can look at where you stand from the back and you can judge and we're looking for body condition score three. This nice, this one here in the middle. You're looking for to achieve that by four to five weeks of gestation. What you do want to be doing is trying to manipulate body condition score in late gestation, either up or down. It's too late by then. We're trying to get them at that body condition score three and then trying to maintain that weight during gestation. If they're too thin, they might be actually too thin to maintain pregnancy. They might be unable to support fetal development. And when it comes to early lactation, they're not going to have those body reserves to be able to draw on to produce the milk. Okay, so it's very much about not letting them get too fat and if you, if you do have to manipulate body condition score by either reducing energy of the diet, if they're a bit too fat, or increasing energy if they're a little bit too thin, you want to be trying to do that early in gestation. Yeah. If they're too thin, we've already talked about, you know, stick a bit of more oil in there, some, some more starchy-based diets. It's not difficult, really, to put weight on pigs. Um, harder in cows but not it's not difficult really because you've got the, the option to use these good quality fats and oils oh sorry 
early pregnancy, so in days one to five, just, just a couple of things here. If you're looking at guilts, when you, after post-mating, you've got to be a bit careful about switching. So if they are quite thin and you're trying to get them up to body condition score three, just be a bit careful about switching them onto a high energy diet quickly. Potentially that's going to lead to embryo mortality in early pregnancy, reduced litter size as well. What we're trying to avoid here is sudden changes. Yeah, suddenly switching from these high energy diets to low energy diets. Uh, that's not what we want. We're trying to keep them in this sort of this body condition score three, manipulating them slowly at times when it's going to have least effect on metabolism, etc. Okay, we're looking again. This, this feed allowance, I'd just give you a rough 2.3 to 3.5 kilos of feed. This again based on your standard commercial. 88%. Now, that's probably a variation in breeds, in um, condition to start with. So you might find that that's not quite right for you. I'm not going to give you exact figures here. I don't want to be giving you exact figures. This is very much about you knowing your pigs and looking at them and looking at that body condition score and saying, right, where do I want them? You know, are they too fat? Are they too thin? Looking at early pregnancy, this is the time to do something about it. Ideally, you, you don't want them too fat. If you're feeding a low energy diet, then potentially you're going to get smaller litter sizes. So you, you don't want them to come off lactation really fat and then have to put them on a diet. <laughs> That's not good either. This is all just fine tweaking isn't it it's all just knowing and, and, and watching and stockmanship and, and just knowing how to gently manipulate the diets um in older sows that switch is not so detrimental it's not ideal you don't want to be doing these sudden switches um as i said you're just looking for this ideal body condition score by about day 45 of gestation and then after that, just trying to maintain that. Okay, so in mid-gestation, this is a critical period for mammary gland development. This is when the mammary glands are developing. And we're not, at this point, we don't really want to be having to lay down condition. We certainly don't want to have to start trying to reduce condition. By this point, we want them in body condition score three, and we're just going to try and maintain that. Okay, so there's not a huge amount of extra requirements. They don't have to eat for two at this stage. You're just looking to just try and keep them. But this is where, again, where you're looking not just at the energy, you're looking at, am I giving them enough vitamins? Am I giving them enough essential fatty acids? Am I giving them enough calcium, etc.? Just trying to keep it right. You don't want to be having to feed them a lot of energy at this stage. You, again, you just don't want these extreme diets. Only feed enough to maintain the sow and fetal growth. You don't want the sow gaining excess body condition during this stage. And then in terms of late gestation, this is the time when we have the rapid fetal growth that I was telling you about. So this is the time when you might want to increase feed intake a little bit. But again, we're, in, we're increasing feed intake just to keep them at that body condition score three. We're not increasing feed intake to lay down condition. 
we're just increasing that to prevent them from losing condition in this real key late gestation period bearing in mind this is when you get that rapid fetal growth when you get that requirement for calcium you get that requirement for energy and for essential amino acids if if they start to lose condition at this stage if you don't keep just it's not big amounts it's just watching them and just trying to keep that condition on them. If you don't do that, then you actually get potentially something called a, a catabolic state of farrowing, gorging. They go off their feed. It actually has long-term effects on the sow's intake and metabolism during lactation. Okay, maybe you wouldn't even see it like that. It's maybe a sort of, it could be sort of underlying issues that you might find. Okay, so it's, again, I keep repeating myself, it's very much about just watching them and trying to maintain that body condition score as best you can. Not increasing in condition and not losing condition. Try to avoid ad-lib feeding. You possibly aren't ad-lib feeding anyway on dry sows, but certainly try to avoid that. Is that a can then actually affect the sow's appetite during lactation? Yeah, we're just trying to keep everything steady. And as I've already said, just keep an eye on that mineral intake. Just keep an eye on that calcium. Not too much because we're trying to maintain that two to one calcium to phosphorus ratio, but make sure that the diet's not deficient in calcium at that stage. Okay. So summary, what we don't want to be doing is feeding very high energy diets, particularly in later gestation. Feeding of trying to put weight put condition back on them in late like mid to late gestation can negatively impact litter size embryo survival mammary gland development intakes during lactation milk yield in lactation yeah keep keep that keep your eye on that body condition score if there's any manipulating to be done do it in early gestation okay as i said it's not too difficult but by just manipulating, it's just the energy content. You can keep the protein the same. That's not a problem. It's just about, you know, if you need a bit more energy, stick a bit more oil in there or look at some, some you know, higher energy carbohydrates. If you need to reduce that, then just look at how you can, you know, maybe reduce energy content with some of the less nutrient dense feeds. Okay, and then, we just finish off by looking at the requirements during lactation. Um, sow versus guilt. Feed intake can be affected by the feeding of the sow during gestation. I've already said that, haven't I? So if you get it right during gestation, you should be able to get maximum feed intake during lactation, which means that you, know, you can get more energy in which means you've got less chance of potential metabolic problems during early lactation. You've got more milk, you've got higher appetites. You've got more milk, which means you've got stronger piglets. They're not going to be deficient in any of these key nutrients. Sows in their second to third parity will have higher intake. So keep that, you can just keep that in mind when you're calculating how much they'll eat 
that the, the sows in later parities will eat more than the gilts. And that's fine, have a higher calcium requirement than the gilts as well. Gilts probably need a more nutrient dense diet. So just because they're, they're still developing, they don't have the potential for intake that this, the older sows do, but they probably have similar requirements. So what you might find, you might want to just give the gilts a little bit more. Yeah, you might just want to add that little bit of oil to the gilts. Yeah. Or you can feed a more nutrient dense diet and then dilute the sows down. But I, you've got to be a bit careful when you do that. So just, just again, it's just about keeping an eye on them and, and just being aware that the gilts won't have the same capacity for feed intake and then might need a bit more in the way of nutrients. How much to feed? We're trying to maximize feed intake. Yeah, we're trying to maximize feed intake to meet the requirements of lactation and try to minimize the use of that body reserves. So whether that's body reserves of fat or whether that's body reserves of things like calcium, for example, there will always be a little bit of body fat utilization. That's fine and that's healthy, but we don't want too much of that. We don't want them to lose too much body condition because going back to what we were saying about the, the um, gestation sours, we don't want to be having to do too much in the way of extra high energy diets to get them back up again. As after the farrowed, we're looking to just gradually increase the amount of feed offered as the sow's requirements increase because they're producing more milk because their piglets are drinking more, then her appetite will increase. And so we're looking to just follow that and just offer a bit more as her appetite increases. With, with lactating sows, I would usually always say you feed ad lib, but I suppose there might be some systems where you can't feed ad lib, in which case you are looking at at least twice a day feeding, maybe even ideally more than that. Um, ad lib's probably best because as I said, you're trying to maximize that feed intake. By maximizing feed intake, you're minimizing the loss of body condition. Think about heat stress. So outdoor pigs, which I'm guessing probably most of you saw, have lower thermoneutral zone. They're more accustomed to the cold winter temperatures, which means that they're more sensitive to the higher summer temperatures. And so what you'd find potentially in very warm weather, you'd see feed intake dropping due to heat stress, which then you've got reduced milk production. You then have less milk so you have poor piglet growth you have potential potential for deficiencies in key nutrients just because they've drunk less milk potentially poorer weaning weights just because they're in the heat they're not going to eat as much and as i said what we're trying to do in lactation is to maximize feed intake keep them I'm sure you probably do this anyway Keep them cool, shade, water, feed more frequently, feed during the cooler times of the day. 
That's how to maximize that intake. If, if you do see the feed intake dropping, if you, if you, and you can't do much about it because it's one of those summers where it's so hot and you're in a hot part of the country, you might actually have to look at increasing the nutrient density of your feed so that even though they're eating less, they're eating more nutrients in every mouthful. It's an art, isn't it? It's Yeah, I think you, what you're saying, there's no, it's about watching your sow and how they produce and how they balance and feeding them accordingly, you know, as you, as you get the eye on. I've, I have, I do have one question. Um, so, you know, sometimes with the sow, you can have a difficult farrow, you may need to get your vet involved and the vets prescribe some kind of, you know, antibiotic or, um, you know, pain med or whatever. Obviously, that can have effect on metabolism, especially antibiotics. I mean, is there any advice that you'd give around additional energy foods, maybe oils, to help them through that period when, they, when they're coming off those drugs? Or is it just a matter of feeding as you would do normally? If they're eating less, I think if one of the, if they've been ill, they're probably going to eat less. Or sometimes I think maybe antibiotics may, in some cases, reduce appetite a little bit or intake a little bit. Yeah. I think then that's when it's a bit like this. If feed intake drops, not just for the weather, but other reasons as well, then it is worth just thinking about how you can max increase the nutrient density of the feed. Right. So the energy, the energy is the easy one. Stick some sunflower oil on. Yeah. Yeah. Protein. Yes, you can look to potentially add, you know, you can buy a bag of fish meal from your local farm shop. You know, if you thought that that was going to be yeah. required, you can, you don't need a lot. You can stick a bit of fish meal on there. Fish meal is also good for calcium, good levels of calcium in fish meal because it's got the bones in it. So, and it's it's probably quite small supplementation, but it could be key. Hmm. Thank you. Where are we with regards to rolled barley, Victoria? Where does that fit in? Um, so rolled barley is nice. It's less energy dense than wheat. It's probably 1.5 megajoules per kilogram less than wheat. So if you're looking for if you're trying to have a nutrient dense diet if you're trying to maximize nutrient density rolled barley is not going to be your best option maize and wheat are going to be much better options however if you're looking to reduce energy density if you're trying to just bring that body condition score down a bit barley's very good oats oats are good yeah, barley and oats will be less nutrient dense than your wheat mm -hmm. and your maize. And so it depends on what, what you're actually needing to do. If you're looking to just maintain body condition score, barley's probably okay. Okay. Because it's um, feeding weaners, for instance, Victoria, getting them up to weight, to, to killing weight, together with the concentrates, so reducing concentrates and supplementing it with rolled barley. Um, that's been practiced, but not necessarily feeding lactating sows or sows in pigs. Gestation sows, fine. Yes, gestation. Yes, absolutely yes. fine. Okay. You know, because re just restricting that energy a little bit, 
Yeah. I have, I have, I can think of people where I've actually seen them feeding like propionic treated barley to mm-hmm. sows and it's nice. It's quite nice. If you're looking for energy dense rations, you're better off looking at wheat and maize. Okay. See, um, thank you. Just one further question on there about, so when you say a little bit of fish and bone meal, you know, not fish and bone, fish meal. Fish meal, um, yeah. When you say a little bit, what are we talking like a mm. tablespoon in a, in a, in a daily ration or are we talking a teaspoon or are we talking a handful? Is, <laughs> Oh my goodness, there's like a question. How much? <laughs> I think you're probably thinking of more than a teaspoon. Yeah. I can maybe look that up if you want before I say something that's maybe not right. It's not going to be kilos and kilos of it. Yeah, no, obviously not. Yeah, I get that bit. But I maybe a couple, I'm going to go and I'm going to say a couple of tablespoons per head per day, possibly. Even that could be useful supplementation in terms of essential amino acids. Yeah. And and some, just... some fish meals actually have quite high levels of fish oil in them as well. Some fish meals are very, very nice balance of protein and oil. Others have had the oil removed and therefore they're just the meal. Yeah. So it depends what sauce you've got. Thank you. Okay. Okay. And I think I've just got a couple more slides to go. Take home messages. There we go. Body condition, score your sows regularly. I'm sure you do. You know, like, it's kind of like you're looking, at, I'm, I'm looking all the time. I'm looking at my dog. I'm looking at my husband and body condition scoring him. <laughs> Working out whether I need to give him more nutrients or less nutrient dense diets. Um, but it's the same thing, isn't it? That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying not to overfeed your ingestation, making sure that we're not, that you, if you have to fill them up, that you're using, as I said, the sugar beet's a lovely option good quality straw of, of veg, leafy vegetables. They're all good for gut fill without overfeeding nutrients. Think about the gilts. Just think about that gilt. Treat them maybe slightly differently. Making sure that you're following the lactation curve and that you are increasing feed during the lactation in line with milk production. And take into account any factors that might reduce feed intake during lactation. So whether that's antibiotics or whether it's heat stress or any other factors, just taking that into account. I think that's it. Have we got any more questions? Super. Thank you very much, Victoria. Does anyone else have any more questions to ask Victoria? Or you can message me directly or put a, a message in the group chat that Kim's watching. I've got one that's coming from someone that couldn't attend tonight, Victoria. And the question is not really on, um, it, it's generally on feeding weaners. Um, they currently, they, they're feeding their pigs sort of four pounds of feed a day. Um, and they keep them in the woods. And when they're in the woods, they're feeding on bramble, nettles, docks, roots, willows. All, so they're all outside feeding all the, the bits and bobs. Um, do they still need to be on four pounds each or can that be reduced slightly because they're outside? Um, so I think my answer is it depends on what time of year it is to um, what exactly they are eating. Um, but do you think it's a good idea to reduce their, 
their concentrates because they're outdoors and in the woods. If they, if they want maximum growth, if they're looking for absolute maximum growth, I wouldn't. If they're not too worried, then yeah, they probably can reduce it slightly. Because they're looking at bringing them on for, for meat wieners um, and they're just thinking that this is, could this be potentially putting on fat or could they reduce the fat? Um, but the wood is a one and a half acres. So yeah. The, those kind of materials that you've mentioned there, the nettles, the what else yeah. did you say, the roots, etc., they're going to be primarily fiber. So they're not going to have high energy content. They're not going to really make any difference in terms of excess body condition and laying on fat. But if they reduce the as fed feed, they're potentially going to go off and eat more of the natural products. Mm -hmm to a point where eventually you might see a discrepancy. I, I, if they're looking for sort of like efficient production, I, I'd keep them on the four pounds and just let them pick at everything else. Okay. Super. I, I see Kira's got a hand up, Kira. Thank you. Yeah, Victoria, it's really interesting. Um, for a, a relative novice who's never had a breeding sow before, it's it certainly filled me full of uh, thought. But um, thank you. I just wondered, really, what your thoughts are about uh, pigs and the fact that um, uh, the fly casings uh, for black soldier flies are looking to be licensed for animal feed products soon. I wonder what your thoughts are about that. I'm very much for it. And we've already actually given the reason why, because insect meal is actually one of the products that can replace soya really well. And from a sustainability point of view, then you know there are already businesses producing insect meal in the UK. It, if it can replace even some of the soya that we use, it's, it has so many benefits because the amino acid profile of insect meal is really good. It's much better than soya. So potentially we can use less of it than the soya, but we become less reliant on imported feed. The, in terms of the sustainability, it's much more sustainable than you know, South American or North American or any kind of soya. The risks, I think, are probably minimal. Um, it's got a lovely balance of essential amino acids, and it's actually got quite high oil as well. You wouldn't think insects would be very oily, but it's actually got some really nice oil content as well. We're not allowed to feed it at the moment, but you're right, it does look like it's, it's been come. Cracking question, Kira. Thank you. Any more questions? I was just... Have you seen that question in the chat, Kim? No, I've just got one. There's my... one about sugar beet um, no. and whether it should be soaked or not. I think. No, yeah. don't, don't soak it because when they eat it, it'll swell up inside them and make them feel full. Right. They're not like horses. Horses have very small stomachs. That's why you have to soak the sugar beet because it swells up inside and can cause colic. But for the pigs, you don't need to feed a lot of it. You know, again, maybe it's just a, a scoop or something. But because it swells up, it provide a little. A little will provide good gut fill. 
Thank you. Okay. Any more questions for Victoria? We can't seem to get her to stumble on any questions. She's got. Uh, that's questions. good. I've got one question that's come through on my messenger that says, "What about hemp oil?" Um, I'm not a fan. An interesting one. Isn't that um, cannabis? Well, it's not. It's not illegal to feed hemp. No. It's a, no. Approved raw material. Yes, I try and stay away from those kind of things. To be honest, yeah, because there are better things. And can I remind you, please, Victoria? We're going to have a look at the um, oh. anti-nutritional factors for our beans and peas, please. One second. Thank you. So I'm looking in my feeds directory, my little Bible here. And I look for the, I look for the, I should know this, shouldn't I? I'm, you have stumbles on us this because I should know these figures, but I'm just checking before I tell you. <laughs> I don't think you expect to know everything. Yeah, I think they probably yeah. change. Yeah. They probably so, change every year, don't they? Anybody wants to buy one of these, I think you can get them on Amazon. And they actually give you, I don't know if you can see this, but they actually give you like different maximum contents by species. And so this is for beans. This is field beans. They're saying creep and weaner feed none. Don't feed them to young piglets. Grower feed 7.5% of the ration. Finisher and sow up to 10%. And again, that's working on, if you think about that complete feed at 88% dry matter, don't feed more than 10% of the sows. You, you will see problems. The peas, let me check the peas for you. So, yeah, as I said, peas are a bit more. Nothing in creep feeds. 5% for weaners maximum. 10 for growers. 70, up to 17 and a half for finishes and sows. So you can feed a bit more of them. What's the name of that book, Victoria, please? It's called The Feeds Directory. Yeah, I've just looked it up on Amazon. It's, um, it's not cheap. It's £35. So... It's but it does look quite um looking inside it it does mm. look very uh so it gives you yeah. very useful it I, tells I, mean, you... I won't just say that i ordered a copy but you know but it's it is useful for those kind of figures where mm. you say you know raw materials right what's the maximum inclusion that i can feed and it will give you them for the creeps the wieners the growers the finishers yeah. and the sows and it i always i still check like there i wasn't going to say i I roughly got it, but I was still checking um, because it is always useful just before we, you know, especially if you're going to make big changes as well and bring in new raw materials. You can always ring me and ask if you just want me to just look something up for you. You can always email us. And just Google us and email us and I'll have a quick look for you. Yeah, super. Thank you. No, I say I've ordered a copy. So, so um, yeah. So, I mean, is there a clarification in that book around fish meal of interest? In terms of, um, oh yeah, that's a point. Let's have a look, see what it says about fish meal. We're talking teaspoons, tablespoons, oh, but not kilos, right? So, so these are probably recommended levels rather than 
limits that would be dangerous if you like so yeah. the peas and beans you have to stick to them because actually you'd see problems i think with the fish meal i don't think you'd see problems i think it's probably just not necessary to feed more than this so they're saying creep and weaner feed 10 percent grow a 7.5 finish a four sow three so you're looking so on at a sow that's having two and a half kilos a day i mean that's three percent what's that yeah so it's about 50 grams about two tablespoons probably is about two yeah, about, things, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty yeah pretty spot yeah. on with the yeah with the first test yes and that, so that's kind of, that's what it's talking about as being a sort of a recommended level. So you certainly wouldn't, wouldn't really want to be feeding much more than that. Well, um, Andrew, I can see that there's some messages on the chat, but my I'm, my 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 side of the screen has frozen. Uh, it's, there's lots of people saying thank you, basically. So um, oh, thank you. I know I've yes. gone on a bit so, longer, haven't I? Sorry. No, there's. So, there's one at the bottom, but then there's, I can see something. The message starts, do you have any pre-mating feed advice? Yeah. That's me, Lily. Hi. Oh, well, go on, Lily. You ask the question then. I just didn't know if you had any, any like, advice on feed for pre-mating, as in other than a body score of three. I have a slight theory of some of my sows, if they get slightly more feed before they go to the ball, and then I seem to have bigger litters, and I don't know yeah. if it's... I, maybe they get released more eggs because there's more feed if it's because of that kind of reason or just I don't know if, that's a, if there's any kind of evidence on that or just kind of my little theory it might be right if it would probably work more if if there was a, a increase in nutrient intake at ovulation that's potentially when you would see bigger litter sizes so when they go to the bore that's in line with ovulation so i think you're probably right okay that you would see that but then of course with the guilt you don't want to be suddenly changing to this big no. high nutrient diet so even just a small increase what you're looking for if you're going to do it all you really need is an increase in plane of nutrition yeah. it doesn't have to be massively more it just has to be an increase in plane of nutrition rather than a decrease in plane of nutrition okay that makes sense. I mean, when we do it, we we feed we, we feed one half extra scoop, and that seems to just give them a little bit of a boost. Okay. Oh yeah, I think that would be very very good. Okay, cool. Thank you. That's just helpful. I think we've got one more message. I've just frozen up. Um, so go back to five percent protein for weaners when we just give finishes feed to them. So this is too high. Not 5% protein, is it not 5% beans? Yes, it's 5% beans, I think that's what it is. What was the question? So it's so question reads, so only 5% protein for wieners, so this is going back to the beans and the peas, I think. So only 5% protein for wieners when we just give finisher feed to them. So this is too high. No. It, so with wieners, we haven't really been talking about that today, but if you look no. at wiener feed, we're looking at 20% protein. Remember we were talking about that last time, weren't we? It's a very yeah. rough guide. You're talking maybe about 20% protein. Mm. Yeah. What, where's the, what 5% are we talking about here? Was that the fish? The 5% fish with meal? regards to the beans, yeah. No, it wasn't the beans. Was it the fish meal? Um, no. Was no. no. it the peas? It would have been the peas. 
But I mean, I, I will say if there are questions around uh, being yes. wieners, we have a, a very substantial podcast called It's All About the Lysine on our podcast channel from last June that um, that uh, Victoria that, that information did, did for us on feeding so the, for efficiency, basically. So, yeah. So yes. You should be able to find all those answers there. The 5% comes from the peas. Yeah. So what I said yeah. was if you're feeding wieners, in, you can't feed more than 5% peas in their diet because of the anti-nutritional factors. Mm. You, yeah, you mentioned that earlier on, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, so I'm conscious of time and that Victoria is still in the office and it's uh, 10 past nine. We are over by 10 minutes. It's been a very good session. Are there any more prudent questions for, um, for Victoria? Um, now, I will say, I'm sure if you do have questions, drop me an email. I'm sure I can direct them to Victoria and she can respond at her, yeah, of course. No problem at all. Her, own, her own leisure. I'm feeling like I need to go and get a glass of wine in solidarity with you all. Yes. <laughs> you deserve no, I've it. missed out. So I just want to say a big thank you again, Victoria. I mean, you've done this for free for us as a charity. I mean, this is the second session you've given up your time in an evening. I know you've got young children at home as well. So um, no problem at all. I've enjoyed I'm very, nice very much well. appreciated that that you've done this for us. And, and I'm sure, you know, everyone here is, there's lots of lots of comments in the group saying in the chat saying thank you very much victoria very informative and i'm sure once this goes out as a podcast we get very very similar feedback so well i'm sure you'll agree that was a very informative session and thank you very much victoria for giving up one of your evenings to uh, to, to help the charity with your, you know, with your vast knowledge that's much appreciated thank you well that's it for this podcast um i hope you've enjoyed it as always, if anyone w wants a topic to discuss or would like to feature in a podcast or, you know, have a chat with me, you know, it's all in, it's all done informally via, via, um, via Zoom. We don't record the video. We only record the audio, you know. So if someone has a topic that they're interested in or that, or they want to share, you know, um, more than happy to have that sort of, um, chat with you. Just drop me an email, andrew at oxfordsandyandblackpiggroup.org um, and I'll be in touch. Well, Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, happy pig keeping.